But it's our joy to be with you, and uh, I want to thank you for the honor today of uh, worshiping with you guys and um, joining your Sunday morning service. You know, it's no small thing for a pastor to give up his pulpit on Sunday morning. Sunday morning is church family, and I also know that it's no small thing for the church family to welcome people in. I, I pastored for uh, over 30 years, and I know that, uh, you know, my people... They wouldn't be ugly about it, but a lot of times you'd hear, well, you know, I come to church on Sunday morning to hear my pastor. And uh, they didn't get excited about sometimes the guest, depending on who it was. But, and I understand that, praise the Lord. But, you know, even your pastor needs to sit and feed sometimes, and receive, and uh, praise the Lord. Who knows, I might even say something that he would agree with today. <laughs> so, but we are, we are delighted to be with you, and... Uh, We've just been really looking forward to this meeting. I've had an expectancy about this morning's service, uh, not as an, an end-all, but maybe as an introduction. And, uh, you know, the, I just, we've made a connection with Pastor Jerry and Trudy. We just, they're, they're our kind of people, even though, you know, we come from different parts of the country. And how many of you are in agreement with us today to experience the miracle of communication? Yeah. Amen. Everybody get past the accent, and everybody get past all of that, you know. I'm talking about your accent. <laughs> Praise the Lord. But uh, it, is, uh, it is our great joy and our great pleasure uh, to be with you. I'd like to introduce my wife to you. This is my wife, Phyllis. Would you stand up, honey? Phyllis and I. <laughs> Praise the Lord. In October, Phyllis and I will celebrate 45 years of marriage. Woo! Glory to God. That's a pretty good run, isn't it? Yeah. I know what you're thinking. We don't look that old. But you have to understand we were both very young when we were born. So she and I have two children. We have four grandchildren. We make our home in uh, Birmingham, Alabama. Again, that's our hometown, uh, the, that area of, uh, of the state. And uh, we started our church after I completed uh, Rama Bible Training Center back in 1982. We pastored there for 30 years. Uh, Ten years into that, 1992, I began to travel uh, really quite a bit. The Lord began to speak to me and tell me that, um, actually, when I, when I first started uh, our church, I always thought for a long time, for several years, that I was just a placeholder, that God was going to use me to raise it up, and then I was going to travel because most of the ministries that had touched me and had affected me uh, positively were traveling ministers. Brother Hagin, he was my spiritual father. Brother Copeland, you know, the guys, a lot of the people you have out there on your missions board, your giving board, we, we count practically every one of them our friends. And uh, many of them we know very, very well. As a matter of fact, uh, Jerry Savelle and I are going to be doing a conference in uh, Panama City, Florida in the month of November. And uh, so if any of you are visiting that part of the country, come and see us. But uh, we... Uh, um, we, we were greatly blessed by the traveling uh, teachers and traveling ministers. And so I thought that's what I was going to do. Because, you know, whatever helps you, generally speaking, that's what you wind up wanting to do for other people. So uh, when we started our church in 82, I thought I was a placeholder there for a while and that the Lord was just going to use me to get it started, raise it up, and then turn it over to somebody. But after five or six years of it, I realized I was the guy, you know. And uh, so I said, okay, fine, I'll just settle into it. And we did, and we built a great church down there. And it's a, just a, a, a we, have, we have some wonderful, wonderful people and wonderful testimonies. But in 1992, 
the Lord spoke to me and said, now I'm going to begin to open doors of utterance for you, doors of opportunity, and I want you to go through them. And I said, I began to argue with him. I said, Lord, you know, uh, here I am. I've been pastoring for 10 years. I'm settled in now. I'm good. I don't want to get out here and compete with these guys that are traveling full time. You know, they need these, these uh, meetings. And the Lord said, no, you're not going to be competing with anybody. He said, when I send you into a place, I'll send you in with an anointing that will break things loose in churches and in people's lives. And so we've seen that over the years. There's just a lot of things we could say, but uh, it's the anointing that removes the burdens and destroys the yokes. And that's, that's what we're all about. We, just, we like to uh, manifest the power of God. As Paul said, our teaching and our preaching is not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. You know, we shouldn't want to... It's, it's a mistake if we leave church saying, boy, that was a great message, or he's a great speaker. What we ought to be leaving church saying is, we serve a great God. Yeah. Amen. And that's what the Lord uh, wants to demonstrate in our lives, His greatness. And so thank you for the opportunity to be here. I'm just sharing this with you as a little introduction and letting you know a little bit about us. Also, if you're visiting with us for the first time today and you don't like what you hear, then come back and give Pastor Jerry a chance next week, okay? <laughs> Praise the Lord. But if you do like what you hear, then uh, we have a few products that we bought, brought with you, and we have Pastor Jerry's uh, permission to share it with you. What we've done is just brought a small uh, piece of the, of the extensive uh, library and, and uh, materials that we have. We put it together as a package. For those of you who would like to go out there and get one of each of these, we have a very special package price for you at a deep discount because I like discounts, and I think most people do too. And uh, so if you, if you receive today, if you like what you hear, and you want to hear more, we have a lot of great teaching out there. Uh, we've got, this package consists of uh, one, two, three, four items. First of all, there, <clears throat> there is this single CD, and you can get these uh, singly or separately if you want to, but if you uh, buy one of each, then of course you get the discount. This is entitled Write the Vision, and this is a teaching that I did uh, historically, my church, the first uh, Sunday of every January, we would encourage people to act on Habakkuk chapter 2 and write down your goals. Actually, goals is just a part of the vision. Uh, the, the world calls it goal setting, but it's actually a Bible principle. And uh, I'm familiar with one seminar that's, that uh, uh, shares the statistic that a person who writes his goals down is 50 times more likely to attain them than the person who does not. And so this is something that uh, we, we learned early on, and uh, I began to write down the things that I was believing for, and we've, we've got volumes. I have, I have a volume, uh, a, a book, very thick, you know, with volumes of paper, uh, with check marks by the things that we've written down and seen God perform over the years. So that CD will bless you. This um, CD series is entitled Knowing What Belongs to You, and I know that you guys are a faith crowd. This is a faith church. Some people just have faith on the name, on the sign, but you can sense faith. Faith has a feel to it. It has a smell to it, and I, I, I sense faith in this church. I know you're believers, and a lot of you think you've probably heard everything there is to hear on faith, but I will guarantee you. As a matter of fact, I'll bet you dollars to donut holes that this tape series, this CD series, will share things with you about faith that you didn't know and that some of you have never heard before, and it'll set you free. So... That's a great series to have out there. This is entitled Supernatural Provision. 
It's taken from the story of Jesus multiplying the loaves and the fishes. I think it's, a, it's either a two or a four volume, three volume, uh, three, three CD set. And uh, we look at the components of the miracle of Jesus multiplying the loaves and the fishes. Some people think it just happened because it was Jesus. But actually there are things that the disciples did that activated miracles. And there are things that you and I can do to activate supernatural provision in our lives. So that'll be a great series. And then finally, this book. This is the first book I wrote. It's called Faith, Catch It. Now, I didn't title it that. The Harrison House did that. But the reason for that is because of something that I asked the Lord and, and the answer that He gave me. I asked the Lord one time, Lord, why is it that people can sit in the same classes or the same church, as the case may be, hear the same teachers, hear the same word. Some of them go out and do great things, great exploits, of faith, and others just seem to go nowhere. And the Lord took me to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 13, which says, We having the same spirit of faith as it is written. And He said, The spirit of faith and the subject of faith are not the same thing. The subject of faith can be taught, but the spirit of faith must be caught. And when you've got the spirit of faith, you look at everything differently than the rest of the world does. So, you know, you've always heard the, the pessimist sees the glass half empty. The optimist sees the glass half full. Well, I add the spirit of faith sees the glass in overflow. So it changes your attitude. And this book will fill in a lot of the, lot of the gaps of faith. Again, this came out of nearly 30 years of pastoring. And um, you just see, you know, in people's lives because the pastor deals with, the, with where the rubber meets the road. You know, the, the, the guest may come in and preach a great sermon and he's out of town, but the pastor has to be with the people and explain how to apply it. And so this, of course, is what this, this uh, information comes out of. And uh, we'd like to bless you with that. If you would like to uh, hear more of these things, and you can get these out there at the table. And uh, yeah. Pastor Jerry, yes, perhaps sir. I could sow these into your okay. life if you would like it. Amen. And I'll give you that. Praise the Lord. All right. All right. You ready to get into the Word today? We're going to talk about the eclipse of the sun. <laughs> Actually, we are a little bit, I just, but I just had that little revelation as he was, as uh, Pastor Trudy was standing up there and sharing that with you. People get nuts over the nuttiest things. I'm going to tell you, a lot of this, this eclipse business is going to be such a big yawner. I mean, there's not going to be anything to it other than the, the traffic and the, the, you know, the inconvenience that those of you that live here have to put up with. Praise the Lord. So uh, anyway, the sun's going to go away, but it's going to come right back. So don't worry about it. And in the same way, there may be things that obscure God's goodness in your life, but don't worry about it. It's going to come right back. Glory to God. Open your Bibles with me today to the book of 2 Kings chapter 8. 2 Kings chapter 8. <clears throat> Now, I know that Pastor Jerry has been sharing on the subject of restoration in the Wednesday night services for some time now, but I want to share with you what the Lord has said to me about actually this very same subject, and uh, this is an assignment that I have. The Lord has directed me to share these things in the places where He gives me the release to do it. And I had been thinking about this, but I always ask the pastor before I speak, is there any direction you'd like for me to go or anything that you'd like for me to do? Because 
you know, I would have people ask me that, and I'd say, well, you just follow the Holy Ghost. But then at the same time, I realized pastors got the Holy Ghost too. And uh, if, there, if there's an area that we can accommodate, we definitely want to do that. But this is something that I had in my heart. And so when I'd heard that he'd been sharing on some of these things, then uh, we, uh, we knew we were on the right track. 2 Kings chapter 8, beginning here in verse 1. It says, Then spake Elisha unto the woman, whose son he had restored to life, saying, Arise, and go thou in thine household, and sojourn wheresoever thou canst sojourn. For the Lord has called for a famine, and it shall also come upon the land seven years. And the woman arose and did after the saying of the man of God, and she went with her household and sojourned in the land of the Philistines seven years. And it came to pass at the seven years' end that the woman returned out of the land of the Philistines, and she went forth to cry unto the king for her house and for her land. Now let me uh, backtrack a little bit here and uh, bring you up to date about something. I'm sure most of you know it, but I'll just remind you of these things. This uh, first verse of 2 Kings chapter 8 talks about this certain woman. Now this woman is introduced to us about three chapters, four chapters earlier, and she's known as the Shunammite woman. The Bible calls her a great woman who lived in the city of Shunem. Now this woman is one of the heroes, one of my heroes in the Bible. She's actually listed not by name but by achievement in the 11th chapter of the book of Hebrews, which is the great you know, chapter of the heroes and the zeros of faith. And uh, she's listed as one of the heroes by, by her accomplishment. And again, the Bible calls her a great woman. Now this woman lived in the city of Shunem, and uh, she had a husband who apparently was in the building business because she told her husband, I perceive that this man, talking about the prophet Elisha, is a man of God. Elisha was a prophet who ministered to Israel. You know, he succeeded Elijah. And remember, he was the double-portioned miracle prophet. And uh, he, he, uh, he would travel uh, to and through the, the, the region where she lived. And this woman recognized the anointing of God on this man, and she prized God's anointing and God's presence more than anything else. And that's the reason she was a great woman. And, and, and uh, the Scripture tells us that she said to her husband, Listen, when he comes to town, I don't want him staying over here at the Best Western. I want him in our house. So let's add on to the house. Well, again, that demonstrates she was a great woman because he did. He, added, he actually added on to the house and, and, and erected what we'll call the Elisha suite so that, so that when Elisha came to town, that he had a place to stay. So she invited him, and uh, he came, and he liked it. Now, the Bible says that she furnished that house. She, she, in it was a table and a bed and a chair and a candlestick and all of these things, room enough for him to move around, room enough for him to be comfortable. How many of you know that if she's going to go to the trouble of building onto the house, she's not going to go down here to stick furniture and furnish it. So she, she, she elaborately decked it out so this man of God would want to stay there. And so he did. So when he came through that region, he would stop and stay there. And he'd sleep in that bed and he'd eat at that table. Well, after a little while of this, he said to his servant, Gehazi, this woman's been good to us. What does she want? And Gehazi said, well, I'll ask her. So he asked her. She said, I don't want anything. I just want y'all here. I just, I perceive that, that, that God's with you, and I want that in my house. I want that influence in all that I do. Thank God for those that bring God's influence into their home. 
So uh, the servant came back to Elisha and he said, well, she said she didn't want anything, but I happen to know she has no children. And uh, so the prophet said, well, we'll fix that. So he told her, he said, uh, about this time next year, you're going to have a son. She said, don't lie to me, man of God. He said, I ain't lying. And so, so sure enough, a year later, a year later, she had a son. Well, the Bible tells us that the son grew up. And there came a time when apparently he was in his, you know, young teens, you know, that he was out working in the field with his father. And something happened, and he grabbed his head in pain, collapsed, and died. They brought word of that to the woman, to the mother. She said, you take that boy and you go put him on that bed that that prophet's been sleeping on. How many of you know that bed had some residue of the anointing in it? <laughs> she put him on that bed. Then she said, you saddle the ass and we're going to ride to see the prophet. And don't you stop until I tell you. So away they went. Well, to make a long story even longer, the uh, prophet saw her coming, found out what was going on, sent the servant to the house, and then he finally came to the house as well, found the boy laying on the bed, laid on top of him, ministered life to him, and raised him up from the dead. Glory to God. And gave him back to his mother and said, I told you I wasn't lying. Now, that tells us something. You know, there's an interesting thing here that a lot of people don't consider. Just because God gives you something doesn't mean that the devil won't try to steal it from you. And God blessed her with this woman. It was a miracle because she was barren. And at the word of the Lord, she had this child. And that child grew. But there came a time when the devil, death, tried to steal that boy. And she had to contend for his restoration, his resurrection, just like she had to contend for his original birth. And so always remember, the things that God gives you, you may have to fight to keep them, but it's worth it. Glory to God. And when you've got the anointing working in your behalf, when you've got the Holy Ghost working in your behalf, when you've got, when you've got a company of believers like this, Praise the Lord, you win. Praise the Lord. I like that song we read a while ago, or we sang a while ago. We weren't created to survive. We were created to thrive. Amen. Glory to God. Somebody say praise the Lord. Amen. So, now we come to this place. Now, here's another interesting thought about this. And that is, here was this woman. She was greatly blessed of God. She had wealth. She had this the son, she had this family, she had a husband who obviously adored her and, 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 you know, treated her like a queen. All of this because she was a great woman, because she perceived that what God, uh, what was available in God and in the man of God was worth, you know, exerting effort to obtain and to, to bring into her home. And so she's got this godly home. But the scripture says that the same prophet told her that the Lord has called for a famine. And he told her, now you're just going to have to go and make do where you can as best you can. And what this tells us, we know of course, because <clears throat> you're well taught. <clears throat> we don't have to go back and explain all this. But just, you know, we, we make note of the fact, we know God is not the one who brought the famine. God's not the one punishing them for the famine. God told Israel when they went into the land of promise in the beginning, he said, listen, if you'll just do what I tell you to do, if you'll walk in the light of the word, if you'll just be doers of the word, he said, your land will always have rain. And if it's got rain, it's always going to have fruit. And if it's got fruit, you're always going to be fed and wealthy. But over and over and over again, Israel turned away from God at one time or another for one reason or another. They went a different direction. They stopped worshiping God. 
And what the nation did affected this woman. Now, this famine was not the woman's fault. She's not the one that caused the famine. But when the famine hits the nation or the region, it's going to affect everybody in it. And the reality is there are things that some of you have experienced, if not all of you have experienced over the past number of years. You've seen, you've seen Satan seemingly gain an upper hand and it wasn't because of anything you did. Here you are, you're believing God. You're worshiping God. You're faithful in church. You love the Lord. You're tithers, you're givers. You're honorable people. And yet... When the housing bubble bursts and the economy tanks, it affects everybody. Are y'all here or not? Yeah. Amen. And so what we see here is because we don't live on an island or we don't live in a bubble, what happens, what other people do can affect us. But thank God it's not the final word. And so here we are. This is this woman. The prophet said to her, you're just going to have to make do because there's going to be a famine for seven years. You're going to have to make do, do the best you can. Well, obviously, the Bible says that she went down to the land of the Philistines. She couldn't stay at home. The land couldn't sustain her. Again, remember the, the, the drought, the famine. There's nothing to eat. There's no way to get by. So she had to just go and do what she could. But every famine not only has a beginning, but it has an end. Every drought has an end. Amen. These, thi these things move in cycles. And this cycle came to an end. People woke up and the rains returned. And so the woman was able to return to her home. Now I want you to notice there again in verse 3 of 2 Kings chapter 8. It came to pass at the seven years end that the woman returned out of the land of the Philistines. And she went forth to cry unto the king for her house and for her land. Now I don't know why she couldn't just go back home. Perhaps it had been repossessed by the government. Perhaps squatters had moved in. And she didn't have the ability to get them out. I don't know. But it's apparent that she couldn't just go back to her house, the place where she had le lived and then left, and just take up residence again. She needed the king's help. So she went forth to cry to the king for her house and for her lands. Now, I want to I point out something here that you'll understand later on. But I want you to notice it said she went forth. It didn't say she went back. Get going back to something out of your thinking. All right? We're not going back to anything. You shouldn't even want to go back to anything. How many of you knew who Lester Sumrall was? Did you ever hear him speak? Lester Sumrall was one of my teachers. I knew him. We had him in our house. I got a picture of him eating uh, cornbread and, and uh, collard greens at my kitchen table. And Lester Sumrall said, never go back. Never back up. He said, I don't even let my driver put the car in reverse. <laughs> if he passes the driveway, I tell him, go around the block. We're not backing up. <laughs> and it's a good attitude to have. Don't, don't think in terms of going back. And the reason I say this is because some people get into this, this uh, desperation mode. Man, if I can just get back to where I was. No, God doesn't want you to get back to anything. And this woman went forth to cry to the king for her house and for her lands. Verse 4, now I want you to see what's happening here. I know you've read this story, but I want you, I mean, I mean you probably heard it told many times, but you hadn't heard me tell it. So I want you to notice what it says here. And it says in verse, verse uh, 4, And the king talked with Gehazi, the servant of the man of God, saying, Tell me, I pray thee, all the great things that Elisha has done. 
Now, this king is no different than anybody else. He loves to hear the exploits of God. And he's got the servant of the prophet, Gehazi, is in there in his court, Pastor Jerry. And, uh, you know, I understand this. I, I travel all over the world, have been for 25 years now. I'm, I'm, I'm about to spend the month of September in Brazil. And everywhere I go, people find out that I had a relationship with Brother Hagin, that I knew Brother Hagin, or that I know Brother Copeland, or that I knew Lester Summerall, or whatever. They'll say, tell us something about Brother Hagin. We want to hear something about Brother Hagin. I've been interviewed on TV in Africa, in South America, and they say, uh, tell us a story about Brother Hagin. Well, I thought you was interviewing me. Well, we want to hear about Brother Hagin. Okay, so I'll tell them a story about Brother Hagin, you know. And, and this king was the same way. He's, he's got the servant, got a captive audience, you might say. And he said, tell me something about Elijah. Tell me some of the miracles he did. So Elijah thinks, I mean, uh, Gehazi thinks back and he says, well, there was this one particular story that stands out. See, there was this woman. She was a great woman, a woman of Shunem. And he went through the story that we just rehearsed. And then he told the story about how the king, I mean, how the, how the son grew up, how he died, and how Elisha turned that hopeless situation into a great testimony and a great miracle for God. Now notice what it says. I want you to notice the way that it, that it reads. Verse 5, And it came to pass, as he was telling the king, as he was telling the king how he, was, how he had restored a dead body to life, that behold the woman whose son he had restored to life, cried to the king for her house and for her land. And Gehazi said, My lord, O king, this is the woman, and this is her son whom Elisha restored to life. So they are in the king's court, the king sitting in his throne, on the edge of his seat, listening to this story about Elisha the prophet and the boy being raised up from the dead. And about that time they hear, O king, hey! And they turn to look, and the servant does a double take, and he said, My Lord, O King. Now, I don't know if he was calling the King Lord, if he was just saying, O Lord, like we do in the South. Lord, have mercy. Look, it's her. And the king said, It's who? The woman that I was just telling you about. He said, Her? That's the woman you were just telling me the story about? Yeah. Come here. He calls to her. She comes over and she said, He said, now, he was just telling me a story about a woman whose son was restored to life. Are you the woman? She said, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm her. King said, get away. <laughs> they can't believe it. They're amazed. Now, I want you to notice something about the verse of Scripture. Back up to the fifth verse. Now, notice, let's look at this fifth verse up here. Now, it happened. Let's see, make sure y'all got the right translation. Okay. <laughs> New King James will work. Now it happened as he was telling the king how he had restored. I want you to count with me. Notice the word restored. How he had restored the dead to life. That there was the woman whose son he had restored to life, appealing to the king for her house and for her land. And Gehazi said, O Lord, my, king, uh, my Lord, O king, this is the woman and this is her son whom Elisha restored to life. Now look at the next verse. And when the king asked the woman, she told him. So the king appointed a certain officer for her saying, Restore all that was hers and all the proceeds of the field from the day that she left the land until now. Glory to God. Now, I was, I was down in uh, Brazil in the fall of 2015. It happened that I spent 
a month down there that year as well. I started uh, going to the nation of Brazil, just give you a little history, back in uh, 2007. A good friend of mine who went to uh, Rhema the same time that I did went down and, and really set that nation on fire. And now Rhema Brazil uh, is, is bigger than all the other Rhemas in the world put together, including the United States. I don't know what their enrollment is this year, but last year it was like 11,000 students. And uh, there, there's just a great revival going on in South America. And the Lord told me to go down there and, and uh, pour gasoline on the fires of God that are burning. So I have been. And since 2007, we've been going down there doing ministers. Uh, I started out doing ministers conferences and really impacted the nation. And a, and a lot of those ministers that were in that, uh, that first service of mine where we taught on and, uh, the, the spirit of faith and where they caught the spirit of faith, now then they've raised up churches that they're asking me to come back and preach in. And so we're, we, we kind of go down there and make use of our time. Well, I was in the northern part up in a kind of a resort area of the nation of Brazil. Brazil's a beautiful nation, and uh, it's the largest South American country. Got the most natural resources. Uh, the people, by and large, are sophisticated. It's, a, it's, it's, it's not third world by any stretch. So we were up in this uh, tropical region, actually. It reminds you a lot of Hawaii. And uh, I was uh, preparing for an evening service, and I was just reading this passage of Scripture. I wasn't going to preach from it, but I just was reading from it. And my eyes fell on that passage, and I saw that in the fifth and sixth verse. Restored, restored, restored. And then the next verse, restore. And the Spirit of the Lord spoke to me, not audibly, but just in my spirit. All of you that are believers, have been for any length of time, know what I mean by that. And the Spirit of the Lord spoke to me, and He said, In 2016, you will enter a season of restoration. I didn't say a year. He said a season. And when he said that, I knew, because it takes time to tell it, but when the word of the Lord comes to you and you get the light, you see things, you know. The entrance of his word gives light. And now all of a sudden you're seeing all this that it takes a few minutes to explain, but you see it in a flash. And I knew when the Lord said that, that in 2016 you'll enter a season of restoration. He was talking about not only me personally, but I also knew it had an application for our nation. Because our nation's been in a famine in a lot of ways. There have been a lot of things. The economy has been in the tank. I don't have to tell you all. We, we all know what's gone on for the past, whatever it is, 10 years uh, thereabout. And um, so I, I knew that he was talking about our nation, and I also knew that it had an application where the church was concerned. So, brother, the Lord said in 2016 you're going to enter a season of restoration. Well, I began to think about that, and I thought, <laughs> I'm in. Count me in. I, yeah, sounds good to me. I've got some things I want to see restored. And then last year, 2016, I was at the minister's conference down in Fort Worth, the one you always attend, and I was just sitting up there minding my own business. I think it was an evening service, and Kenneth was teaching. And uh, you, you remember where you saw me there? I was sitting on the end of that second row. And I was in probably in that same spot. And I was, my wife was sitting next to me. Kenneth was over there in that part of the uh, auditorium. And so I had my arm on the back of her chair, and I'm just kind of leaning over watching him and listening. Now, I don't know what he was teaching. It, it wasn't, it wasn't he, he wasn't teaching on this subject. But... That's really irrelevant because one of the things that it's so important to understand about a church and, and the way the anointing works is it's not just 
what the man says. It's what God says about what the man says. You see, when, when the anointing is present, there will be a voice behind the voice. And you'll see things that weren't said, or you'll hear things, or you'll, you'll see and hear things that weren't actually stated in there. But that's the beauty of the anointing of God. Because you'll hear that God will tailor things for you. He'll speak to you and give you the information that you need. I don't know how many times I've had people come to me after a service and say, boy, Pastor, that's a, man, you just, you, just you, you, you nailed it. That was just for me today. I said, really? What did what, you like about it? What, what part did you, you know? And they'll tell me something, and boy, you said this, and I'll think, I didn't say that. <laughs> but I mean, I don't admit it. I just say, well, praise the Lord. Glory to God. You know? <laughs> Amen. Come back next week for more of it, you know. But I didn't say it. It's something that the Lord said about what I said. The voice, that's the anointing. That's what, when, when, when there's a voice behind the voice, then you know that the anointing is in operation. Glory to God. And so um, I was listening and I was hearing his voice because whatever he was talking about. But then the voice of the Lord came to me. And he said this, he said, I'm going to demonstrate my ability to restore in you. And he paused. And I'm thinking, I like that too. And then he said, I'm asking you to believe for it. And in that flash, Pastor Jerry, I saw the, the, not just the importance, but the necessity of our faith. It's not just what God wants to do. It's not even what God says He's going to do. It's what we will believe that God says that He will do that will make the difference in our life. Are you here? Somebody, some people think, well, if God says it, it's going to come to pass. It depends. It all depends. If God says it about like the end of the world, yeah, there's nothing you can do to stop it. But if God says, if, if there's a promise of God that is available to all and you don't act on it, it may not happen to you. Are you all here or not? So, the Lord said, I'm going to demonstrate my ability to restore in you. I'm asking you to believe for it. So, I asked the Lord about these things. And the Lord, and things begin to enlarge. And I, I told him then, I said, Lord, I'm in. I believe you. I believe you for it. And then the Lord began to enlarge these things and show me what all restoration takes place. Because so often restoration, I mean, it means different people, things to different people. Like I said a while ago, some people think restoration, boy, if I can just get back, where I, back to where I was 10 years ago. You know, financially, if I can just recover what I've lost. Man, that's good for me. But how many of you know, that? and I know you all see that all the time up here because there's a lot of older, wealthy people. How many of you have ever seen an automobile or an airplane that was professionally restored? A professional restoration is not back to what it was when it was new. It's better. It's better. You see, when, when automobiles or airplanes come off the assembly line, they, they have to have a certain amount of tolerance because, you know, they're using parts that have to fit everything. And, and while it may be great, you compare it to a professional restoration. A professional automobile restoration, the tolerances are exact. 
There's no overspray. There's, no, there's nothing left unpainted. There's nothing that, the, that, that was missed by carelessness. There, there's, uh, the, the engine is balanced and blueprinted. It's, I mean, everything is, you can tell it when you shut the door. It just has a sound, you know. Everything is perfect. Now, that's God's definition of restoration. He doesn't want to take you back anywhere. He wants to be involved in your life and take you to some place you've never been before. Glory to God. So, he said, I'm going to demonstrate my ability to restore in you. I'm asking you to believe for it. Let me show you what the Bible says the areas of your life that are subject to restoration are. Go with me to Jeremiah chapter 30. Is this all right? Yes. Jeremiah chapter 30. You've probably preached all this, but that's all right. Like I say, you hadn't heard me tell it. Jeremiah chapter 30, verse 17. These are things that the Lord has told me that are being restored in these last days. And I will restore health unto thee, and will heal thee of thy wounds, saith the Lord, because they called thee an outcast, saying, This is Zion, who no man seeketh after. I want you to notice that. I will restore health unto thee, and I will heal thee of thy wounds. There is a restoration of the healing power of God and the demonstrations of the gifts of the Spirit coming into the church. Praise the Lord. And where we've seen... Now, see, you have to understand, I've been there. I've been at this thing a long, long time. I've seen things come and go. I've, I've, seen, I've seen demonstrations and manifestations of the Holy Ghost. I've seen the church where, I mean, I, I, I had my, my church was described like this one time. He said, when you walk into that place, it's like redemption is oozing out of the walls. People would come into my church and just, and, 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 and nobody touch them, be healed. Nobody touch them, marriages be restored. Just sitting there long enough and things would be turned around in their life. We've had three people raised from the dead in, in, involved in our ministry. The most dramatic one was hers. Not, she, she, she raised a, a woman from the dead. A woman was working in our outreach ministry in the women's prison. And while she was teaching, she grabbed her head and fell dead. She said, my head, my head. Kind of like that boy in the, the Shunammite woman's boy. He, she, he, she, she collapsed. They rushed her to the emergency room. They worked on her, determined that she'd had an aneurysm in her brain burst, and she died. And they pronounced her dead. And um, we got the call. I was out of town. I was traveling somewhere. I think it was in Colorado. My wife called me. She said, they just called and said Maxine had collapsed at the women's prison and she's, you know, <clears throat> at the hospital and it's looking bad. She didn't know yet that they had pronounced her dead. And I said, well, you go down there because when she told me that, I put my spiritual antenna up and I just listened to the Lord say, I'm out of town, but hey, I'm the pastor. And they're all looking to me. I said, all right, Lord, I'm looking to you. What do we do? And over and over, the scriptures begin to come to me. John chapter 11. Jesus said to his disciples, Lazarus is asleep. I'm going to go wake him up. Uh, Jairus' daughter. The damsel is not dead, but sleepeth. And he went and woke her up. And over and over, I, the, the Lord began to remind me of these scriptures where it treats death like sleep. And so I said, you go to that hospital. And you tell Maxine, open your eyes and wake up. She said, okay. There's nothing, listen, child of God, there is nothing safer, nothing more secure, and nothing more 
confidence building than being under authority. You don't have to figure out anything. All you have to do is do what you're told to do. Just follow orders, just like a good soldier. Soldier, go shoot that guy. Okay. Boom. It's not rocket science. You don't even have to think about it. Just do it. Isn't that what, the, uh, what Mary said to the servants there at the wedding of Cana? Whatever he says to you, do it. Just do it. Okay. They were servants and they did it. It's good to be a servant. So I told her, go tell her to wake up. So she said, okay. So she got down there to the hospital. And, and a couple of our prayers were down there. And Francis, one of them, who's been with me for a long, long time. Francis, uh, Phyllis found her and said, Francis, what's going on? I said, well, she, she told her the story, how that she'd collapsed. And, and she's, 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 you know, in the hospital room over here. The nurse met you in the hallway. And, and when the nurse saw Phyllis come and found out who she was, she put her arm around her and she said, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And she said, uh, well, uh, where is she? She said, oh, she's in the room over here. And Phyllis said, can I see her? So she went into the, into the room. And Maxine is laying there. She's covered up, not over her face, but covered up to right here with a sheet. No life support, no beep beep, none of that. No, no leads or anything. She's been pronounced dead. They've got her laying there in the, in the bed waiting for the family to come and get the body. So Phyllis looks at her. And says to the nurse, um, what needs to happen here? And the nurse says, what do you mean? She said, well, what does she need? She said, well, she doesn't need anything. She's gone. Well, I said, yeah, but, 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 but what, what? She said, honey, don't you understand? She's dead. Phyllis said, okay, could we have a minute alone? Oh, no. oh yes, of course, yes. So she walks out of the room. And she and Maxine are there. She said, Maxine, let's pray in the Holy Ghost a minute. So they prayed, huh? I mean, uh, Francis. Maxine's not praying right now. <laughs> Maxine's, Maxine's being prayed for. Or prayed over. Not for, but over. So they pray for a few minutes. Now Maxine's laying there, dead as a hammer. Phyllis looks at her at the foot of the bed and said, Maxine, in the name of Jesus, open your eyes. Maxine's eyes popped up. She said, Maxine, say Jesus. Maxine's laying there, Jesus. Phyllis told Francis, go get the nurse. So she went and got the nurse. The nurse came in there. She said, what is it? What is it? She was upset at being interrupted. I don't know. She was probably on an important coffee break or something. But she said, well, yes, what, what is it? She said, she opened her eyes and said, Jesus. The nurse said, that's impossible. Phyllis said, Maxine, say Jesus. Maxine said, Jesus. The nurse went, ah! <laughs> and ran out of the room. Did I tell that story right? Did I tell that story right? Yeah, amen. And Maxine, Maxine was raised up by the power of God, and she uh, still alive today. She retired from a, uh, a uh, gate agent with, I think it was Delta Airlines, and moved to uh, North Carolina where she retired. And she's still alive today. No brain damage, no problem. A little bit of loss of short-term memory. She couldn't remember what had happened to her. And that was it. That was it.
Praise the Lord. Now, now, now what I'm saying, is, I, 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 honestly, please understand, I'm not saying that to draw attention to anybody but Jesus. All she did was what I told her to do. All I did was tell her what the Lord told me to tell her to do. And it works. But my point is, that's the way it's supposed to work. We're not supposed to walk around in fear of anything, death included. Are y'all here? Now listen, when I came in, this is the way we operated. This is the way church was. You weren't afraid of anything. You weren't afraid of sickness. You weren't afraid of disease. You weren't afraid of the devil. Now then everybody, oh, you know. We have no business living in fear of anything that Jesus has risen in victory over. Satan, death, the curse, anything. Glory to God. I will restore health unto thee, he said, and heal thee of thy wounds. Now that doesn't just mean health to you personally, but he's restoring the gifts of healing into the body of Christ, and we're going to see a manifestation of them greater than anything we've seen in times past. Glory to God. Not only that, here's another thing, and, and this testimony speaks to, the, to this aspect of it. There's a difference between a sickness and a wound. She wasn't sick. She'd been wounded. That, that rupture in, the, in that aneurysm, see, that's just really tantamount to being shot in the head. It was a wound. Yeah, it was a weakness, I understand that, in the blood vessel, but it was a wound. It wasn't a sickness or a disease, per se. And I'm telling you, if you've, been, if you've been troubled because of a stroke or because of broken bones or because of accidents or anything like that, glory to God, yeah. healing, health is being restored to the people of God. Yeah. Hallelujah. I will restore health. Some of you have been standing and believing for some things for a, a, a significant length of time. And you've begun to wonder. Is it ever going to happen? Some of you have even give up, given up in believing for something. You, you just kind of let it go. Well, I can live with that. God doesn't want you to live with that. And He's going to demonstrate His ability to restore in you, in this church, in Jesus' name. Go with me, go with me to the book of Je- Joel, chapter 2. Move quickly now. Joel, chapter 2. Areas of restoration. Now understand that the second chapter of Joel is a Pentecostal scripture because this is the text that Peter took on the day of Pentecost when the church was born in power and anointed with the Holy Ghost. This is the text that he took. And you all know the scripture in Acts chapter 2 where he said, and this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. Solar and lunar eclipses and all that good stuff. Right? All right. Now now notice this. Notice this. Notice what precedes that in Joel chapter 2, verse 23. Be glad then, you children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God. For He has given you the former rain moderately, and He will cause to come down for you the rain, the former rain, and the latter rain in the first month. Stop right there. Let Let me just throw this little nugget at you. We won't take time to develop it, but understand this that what the rain was to the nation of Israel, the Holy Ghost is to the church. Let me turn that around. What the Holy Ghost is to the body of Christ, to the church, the rain was to Israel. What do we mean by that? Well, when Israel went into the the land of promise, they came out of Egypt. In Egypt, they watered the crops there in the Nile Delta 
by irrigation. They had to walk the treadmills. They watered. The Bible says in, in the Old Testament that they, they watered it with their foot. But they walked these treadmills as slaves, which irrigated the crops. But the nation of Israel, if you've ever been there, you know this, it doesn't lend itself to irrigation. It has to have the rain. And of course, especially in these days, before there was any kind of artificial pumps or, I mean, you know, electric or, or, or mechanical pumps, they had to have the rain. And in the same way, Pastor Jerry, we know that the church has to have the Holy Ghost. Part of the problem of the famine, part of the famine has been the result of the Holy Ghost being shut out of the church. Thank you for your enthusiasm. But it's the truth. People having these church services where they say, well, now we don't want anything to rattle the, the, I mean, the, the visitors. We don't want anything to shake anybody up. I mean, you know, let's, let's, let's keep, it, keep it calm, keep it under wraps. Don't have none of that laughing. Don't, 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 don't anybody go wild. Well, now you don't go wild for wild's sake, but you understand what I mean. The Holy God, listen. Isn't it home where you're the most comfortable? I don't know about you, but it's at home that I walk around in my underwear. I don't come to your house and walk around in my underwear. I walk around in my underwear in my house. You're welcome. And I'd appreciate the same consideration from you. But you understand what I'm saying? You're, when you're at home, you're comfortable. Well, now, wait a minute. Whose home is this? This is the Holy Ghost home. He ought to be comfortable enough to walk around in the aisles and do whatever he wants to do. And when the church says, Holy Ghost, we know this is your house in theory, but we'd appreciate it if you'd stay in the back room. You're not going to see anything happening. But see, this church qualifies because this is a Holy Ghost church. I mean, you can see it in the, in the praise. You can see it in the worship. You can see it in the enthusiasm of the people. Child of God, I'm telling you that what you've been holding out for is here. And you're going to be glad you didn't cast away your confidence. Yeah. All right, we keep reading. I, I, I didn't get to the good parts yet. It says, and the floors, verse 24, shall be full of wheat, and the vats shall overflow with wine and oil. Verse 25, and I will restore to you the years that the locust has eaten, the canker worm, the caterpillar, the palmer worm, my great army, which I sent among you. And you shall eat in plenty and be satisfied and praise the name of the Lord your God that has dealt wondrously with you, and my people shall never be ashamed. Verse 27, you shall know that I'm in the midst of Israel, and I'm the Lord your God, and none else, and my people shall never be ashamed. And the Lord is telling us here, I'm going to restore the years to you. Now, the obvious, the first and obvious interpretation of that would be harvests, because when they talked about years, they're talking about annual harvests. And in a famine, in a drought, there's no harvest. This is what this woman in 2 Kings 8 experienced. She had been away from her home. She hadn't reaped the harvest that the land had produced or would have produced over those seven years. The Lord says here, I will restore to you the years. So we can read, I will restore to you the harvests. See, a lot of you have seed in the ground that you hadn't seen harvest on. But the beauty of a seed is that it doesn't die. It can lay dormant, but it doesn't die. There's always a harvest in that seed. And the seed that you've sown, the giving that you've done, the investment that you've made, it's still there. Pastor was explaining to me because 
first time here in Redmond, first time in, in Oregon, the fire danger. Now, why is there a fire danger here? Because y'all got so much grass. Now, why do you have so much dead grass? Because you had so much live grass before it died. Where did that grass come from? Did you plant it? Did anybody plant it? No. Where did that grass come from? That grass, the seeds of that grass were already in the ground. They had been carried there by the wind or by the birds or, or whatever. But the seeds were already there in the ground. And all it took was some extra rain to fall on that seed. And next thing you know, you got grass. Are you all here? Well, let me tell you something. All those seeds that you've sown, they're still there. They're st I said they're still there. And when the rain of the Spirit falls on them, boom! So he says, I will restore unto you the years, the harvest that the locust has eaten. You got harvest. Be expecting it. Harvest is coming. But now here's another, here's another application, and this is just shows the, the supernatural quality of God. When he says, I'll restore unto you the years, I believe also that he's got a way of making up for years that have been lost, squandered, stolen, whatever the case may be. God has an amazing way. You go through something, you are... You are, you, you, you're in a battle, you, you, you're under duress for what seems like an interminable amount of time. You look at it and you think, will this thing ever end? But I have seen so many times God has this way of bringing you out of it. And then it's like He even takes the memory of it away. You look at it and it'll be like, it, it, it seems like it happened to somebody else. Because God has restored and there's nothing missing. There's no lack. Some of you have thought that things were cut off from you. There are those here who have thought that you had messed up so bad that there were things that were no, long even, no longer even accessible. And the Lord wants me to tell you, not only are they accessible, but you're going to experience them. And you just take that length of time. Listen, think like this. Think like this. Take that length of time where you wish you had it back and let God put it on at the end. Why can't He just extend you that much? I'll restore unto you the years that the locust has eaten. Praise the Lord. Look at another one here. Go with me to Psalm 23. Psalm 23. You know this scripture, you learned it in the Baptist church. <laughs> the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. Verse 3, everybody say it out loud with me. He restoreth my soul. Look at that. He restores my soul. Now, people that are taught like you, you, you all know that we human beings are three-part beings, spirit, soul, and body. And so... Probably the first time you look at that word soul, you automatically think about your mind. You know, that, the thinking part of you. And that's okay, because He can restore that. He can restore your memory. 
He can, re- he can restore, you know, all, all of the things that make up our personality. Nothing wrong with that. But actually, this word soul is a different word. It's not, it's not the word that means the thinking part of you. This is the way, this is the word, and they still use this word this way. This is the way that, the way that we would use this word today is like on a ship's manifest or a, an airplane's manifest when they determine how many souls are on board. If an aircraft declares an emergency, I'm, I'm a pilot, I've been flying for 40 years, and if an aircraft declares an emergency, the first thing that air traffic control is going to ask you is, how many souls are on board? Now, they don't mean how many minds are on board. They're using the word soul as a living being, see? And the same thing is true of a ship. They, they, they report how many souls are on board. Because this word soul means your entire life, everything about your life. So anything that pertains to your life, David, is subject to restoration. He restores my life. How about relationships? Are that part of your life? Relationships are being and will be restored. Estranged children, brothers and sisters, God. Some of you have looked longingly at your kids, wanting them to serve God. The Lord told me to tell you today, they're coming back. They're coming back. Now, if you need that, lay hold of it right now. Say, that's me. My children are being restored. Glory to God. This this word, I mean, this is a catch-all word. This this applies to everything. One's entire life. Glory to God. So whatever area of your life is in need, the Lord's got the answer for it. Psalm chapter 51. Psalm 51 is King David's uh, repentance and crying out to the Lord after he had messed up with Bathsheba and her husband. How many of you remember that story? Remember David committed adultery with Bathsheba, caused her to commit adultery, and then had her husband murdered? Remember that? Uh, You know, I've heard of some serious stumbles (laughs) in the ministry today, but I don't know of anybody that I've heard in national media that's topped that one. I mean, didn't just steal the man's wife, but actually had him whacked. And so, so he, he's, he's crying out to the Lord here, and you can understand why he would. But notice what it says in verse 11. Cast not away from me thy presence, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. He's not talking about going to hell. He's talking about his, the anointing. Lord, don't take your anointing from me. And then finally he says in verse 12, Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation and uphold me with thy free spirit. Child of God, joy is being restored to the believer today. You know how there was a season, some of you, maybe not all of you, but some of you, there was a season how you kind of almost didn't want to talk about being a Christian in certain circles because you just didn't want to gear up for the fight. You just didn't want to. Well, remember what we read in Joel? He said, and my people shall never be ashamed. Twice, as a matter of fact, he said, I'm taking shame away. I'm taking shame away. It's going to seem like it was somebody else that went through what you went through. Because restoration has begun. Now, you've got to let the Lord restore your joy. You've got to receive these things by faith. It's not just enough for me to say it, that God's doing it. Yeah, I know He is. 
But you got to go all in on it. You got to say, all right then. I'm believing God for it. I'm believing God for restoration. Because this is what Isaiah chapter 42 says. Look at this. Here's an interesting verse of Scripture. Isaiah chapter 42, verse 22. It says, But this is a people robbed and spoiled. They are all of them snared in holes, and they are hid in prison houses. They are for a prey, and none delivers. For a spoil. And why is all this the case? Because none saith, Restore. God doesn't want His people in prison. God doesn't want His people oppressed. But the reason that these people were is because nobody was saying restore. Can I share one more scripture with you? We'll close with this. We'll close with this. Go with me to Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4. If that's uh, the governor, tell him I'll call him back. (laughs) Hebrews chapter 4. If it's the president, I'll take it. And it could be. (laughs) Hebrews chapter 4, verse 1. Let us therefore fear. I thought we weren't supposed to fear anything. Well, there are some things we should fear. And this is one of them. We should fear the Lord in an honor-respect sense. Let's, Let's show honor to what the Lord says. Let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left us of entering into His rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. I read this verse again, this scripture this morning. I read this verse of scripture again this morning before church, and I saw it like this. Let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left us of entering into his restoration, any of you should seem to come short of it. For unto us was the gospel preached, as well as unto them. But the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. Now, he's making a contrast between the Old Testament saints and the New Testament believers. And in the previous chapter, he's talked about those that were in the wilderness. They wandered around out there. And here he tells us God was trying to get them into a rest, and he made them promises, but the word preached didn't profit them. There's profit in the word that God preaches. But the word that was preached didn't profit them. Why? Because it wasn't mixed with faith in them that hear it. How do you mix faith with what you hear? Well, we're here in this beautiful assembly hall, and, you know, we've got the modern conveniences of lights and electricity and comfortable chairs. and We've got this sound system that is enhancing my voice and making everybody able to hear it and understand what we're saying, you know. And there are some obvious portions of this. There are the, there's the wiring and there's the microphones and there's the... We know that there's amplifiers, and we know that, you know, there's a wireless transmitter and receiver, several of these things. But there's another very important part of this sound system. It's back there in the back, that guy right there with the kind of checkered striped shirt there, standing behind it, is called a soundboard or commonly referred to as a mixer. And what that mixer is, it takes the inputs from all these instruments like that like like our brother when he was playing that axe I like those licks that you played there by the way praise the Lord that's the bass guitar to you non-musical types and (laughs) and then of course you know he's taking the inputs from the keyboards and all that and he's got these 
things called potentiometers or faders, as they're commonly called, and he's adjusting it in order to get a mix, the right mix. Now, how do you know when you've got the right mix? Very simple. It's what's coming out of the speaker. How do you know if you're mixing faith with God's Word? By what's coming out of your speaker. Are you here? And it's as simple as that because, see, you've got all kind of things coming at you. You've got all kind of inputs coming your way. You're listening to Fox News, hopefully not CNN, but even Fox. You're, you're listening to all this stuff coming at you. You're listening to what people are saying. You're listening to the solar eclipse crowd. You're listening to the, to the, to the news media telling you it's going to take you 35 hours to drive to church next week. By the way, why don't, if you live down in Bend, why don't you just charter a plane and fly? You live on an airport. I mean, your church does. Just be up here in 10 minutes. But that's just me. Just saying, okay? But you got all these inputs coming into your mind, into your life. But you are the one that determines the mix. Because you have the ability to dial down all the negativism, dial down all the fear, dial down all the unbelief, unbelief, and turn up the faith. And you mix faith with the promise of God. I've shared a promise with you this morning. Restoration. Restoration of your harvest. Restoration of your children. Restoration of your health. Restoration of your joy. Restoration of the gifts of, the he- of healing. Restoration. Glory to God. Restoration of, this, of the, this church in its greatest strength. Filled to overflowing. Having to build a new building. Glory to God. Now what do we do with it? We mix faith with it. You take the word that you've heard this morning and you make your own personal confession. Now, it wouldn't hurt if we made a confession for our whole church that applies to everybody. But when the Lord said, I'm going to demonstrate my ability to restore in you. What's your name? Rick. Rick? That's correct. When the Lord said... When the Lord said, I'm going to demonstrate my ability to restore in you, Rick, to me. He then said, I'm asking you to believe for it. Well, like so many, I heard that and I thought, well, okay, I believe. Yeah, okay, Lord, I believe you. I'm believing the Lord. But then the Lord began to deal with me over the process of time. See, He didn't tell me last year was going to be a year of restoration. He said, you're entering a season of restoration. Well, how long is this season going to last? I don't know. How long did famine last? Her famine lasted seven years. Ours lasted longer than that here in America. So I'm, I'm pulling for a, a long one, you understand what I'm saying? But be that as it may, when you're in planting season, you plant. When you're in harvest season, you harvest. You don't try to plant in, in the wrong season. This is a season of restoration. So the Lord said, mix faith with it. Or He said, believe me for it. And then, okay, I I said right there, Lord, I'm believing you for it. I believe it. But then the Lord began to deal with me. And He reminded me, you know, the things we all know. Believing. What is is faith? Where is faith? Faith's really in three places. It's in your heart, it's in your mouth, and it's in your deed. 
It's how you act. And the Lord said, when I say he said, I don't mean that he said this to me verbally. But as, as time has gone on and the impression of it has grown, I realize the more aggressive that I will be in faith about this, the more aggressive will be my harvest and my restoration. You see, in life, you have to understand, you don't get what you deserve. Not from God. You don't get what you deserve. Thank God for it. You get what you believe for. And so, the Lord has just impressed me over the months. I ask you to believe for it. What that means is, now then, every day, every day, I make my confession. How many of y'all have ever seen this little book? God's Creative Power Work for You, Charles Capps. Charles Capps was a dear friend of mine. Still is, but he's in heaven now. He and I hunted together. He's just a great man of faith. you know. And he, he wrote these little books, these little confession books. And uh, the Lord impressed me in this season of restoration. Be aggressive with this. So I pulled this little book out, and I began to confess some things in it. But as I began to confess things in the book, it kind of got me kick-started into, and, and, and reminded me, the Lord reminded me of things that He'd said to me. So I started modifying these things and making my own confessions. And I'll just read part of it to you, okay? My Father is demonstrating His ability to restore in me. He restores my joy. Ha, 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 ha. Ha, 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 ha. <laughs> you can sit there ugly if you want to, but I'm going to laugh because he's restoring my joy. He restores my joy, my health, my wealth, and my life. He restores my peace, my strength, and my confidence. Any of y'all ever had a, have you had a kind of an assault on your confidence when it came to believing God? Because you stepped out and you didn't see it. And you begin to wonder, do I even know what I'm doing? Yeah. See, that's just Satan. That's just the world system yeah. and, the, and the powers the, in, the, in the atmosphere working on your mind, trying to get you to back off. There is no use. There's no point. He restores my peace, my strength, and my confidence. He restores my vision, my honor, my help, and my harvests. He establishes me in a wide, quiet, and peaceable place. He prospers me that I may lend and not borrow. He gives me the desires of my heart, and He causes me to ride on the high places of the earth. He restores my income and my abundance, and He increases me more and more, me and my children. Glory to God. And then I remind myself, Jesus said I'd have what I say. That's what I say. And so I encourage you and I admonish you today, be aggressive with this word. Mix faith with it. Let the Lord show you how to make your own declarations of faith. Some years ago, I had invested in some oil and gas wells. And for a while, I was doing really good in them. Matter of fact, there was a season, a, a stretch of months there, where these investments were paying me like $10,000 a month. But then as the economy trailed off and so on and so forth, I began to 
uh, those checks didn't come. And, and when they did come, they weren't very much. And uh, then there were stretches where I didn't even see any checks for months. I might have got, I mean, you know, there were years when I didn't make that much that I used to make in a month. And so I'm just going along like everybody else. Well, you know, the economy, one of these days it'll be back. One of these days everything's going to be all right. One of these days, you know, one of these days. Just kind of ambling through life. You ever done that? You know, where you're just kind of, kind of riding it, <laughs> waiting on something to break. And the Lord said, well, why don't you mix faith with it? Restoration. I thought, well, now, Lord, you know, we're talking about gas production. We're talking about oil. I mean, we're talking about big companies have got to get this out of the ground and, and all that before the check gets to me. Lord said, why don't you mix faith with it? Why don't you believe for it? So I had had this confession of faith that I would make. I always led my church in it as I tithe and give offerings. We're believing the Lord for jobs and better jobs, raises and bonuses, benefits, sales and commission, states and inheritances, favorable settlements, rebates and returns, and on and on like that. And, 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 and we confess that. In my church, every, just about every time we give, you know. And the Lord said, why don't you add royalties? Since that's what you want. Because I'm crying to God, Lord, Lord, Jesus, help me. Help me make my money. The Lord said, why don't you, why don't you call for what you want? So I added another line. And now then, after rebates and returns, I added royalties and rent checks. I said, I began to declare royalties and rent checks, restoration of royalties and rent checks for about four days, and I got a gas check yeah. in the mail. And that was another thing that we confessed, checks in the mail, yeah. gifts and surprises, yes. finding money, bills decreased, <laughs> bills paid off, debts demolished, blessings and increase, yeah. all these things. Thank you, Lord. Yeah. See, we'd make these confessions. So I added royalties and rent check. And then three days after I started saying it, I got a check. I said, glory to God. What a coincidence. That's what the devil said. What a coincidence. But I just kept on bearing down. I said, no, royalties and rent check. Every day. I don't know how many months I've been doing this now. Every day, royalties and rent check. Then the next day, I got another one. And then I skipped a couple of days. Then I got another one. Now, listen, this is all in one, in one month. And one of those checks, Pastor Jerry, was $7,000. Yeah. Amen to that. I'll take all of those I can get. So now I declare royalties and rent checks over myself daily. And we got another one in just right before we left town. Glory to God. If you'll mix faith. I'm not trying to be funny, child of God. I want to strike your thinking. If you'll mix faith with this promise of God, you will see restoration. Stand to your feet this morning. Did you get anything today? Thank you for joining us for this message. We'd like to take this opportunity to encourage those listening from anywhere in Central Oregon to join us Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. and Wednesday evenings at 7 p.m. for our regular services. We understand that many do not have a home church, and we can't emphasize enough the importance of connecting with a church family. We'd be honored to meet you and spend time with you praising God.